Welcome to Renegade Inc. An empire is at its most dangerous when it's failing. With less and less to lose, it continues to try to do the impossible by doubling down on past mistakes. But history tells us that empires fall from within. If so, technically, how does the modern empire meet its inevitable fate? Charlie, welcome back to Renegade Inc. Thanks for having me. It's been about a year or so. It has. And last time you were here, uh, this is what you were touting, the uh, octopus of global control. But you're out with a new book, aren't you? Yeah, I um, had a conversation with Jeff Berwick one day, who is the founder of the Dollar Vigilante and Anarcapulco, which is this large anarchist convention in Acapulco, Mexico. And we, I was doing his podcast and we got done filming. And he, and he said to me, uh, we were talking about you know society and America and everything. And he goes, you know, it's, it's coming down. Right. And from that conversation, we said, maybe we should get into a little bit more depth about this. And so what we did is we wrote a book called the controlled demolition of the American empire. Talked about, uh, the, we did drew comparisons between the way you would take down an actual building, um, the way you would, uh, rig it, you know, you would pre-weaken the building, you would identify the support columns, you would, uh, rig the detonators, you'd figure out who wired the building, push, you know, sound the alarm bell to get everybody out of the way and then push down the plunger and take the whole thing down. So we talked about that. We covered a, a variety of topics and made the comparison between how, how you would go about set, taking a building down and how you would go about taking the American empire down. What we're experiencing right now in the United States is that the end of the American empire is here. And it's not even so much a debate about whether or not this system is coming down because the, the pieces have been uh, put into place to take this whole system down. The question really is, is it intentional? Right. Now, and we think that it is. But you see, that's the moment where, let's say, rings an alarm bell for me because we can get into the realms of conspiracy theory here. Uh, because what you're uh, getting at is that somebody is smart enough to go and rig uh, a building, press the plunger themselves, and detonate this whole thing. From where I'm coming from, there's absolutely no one smart enough to be able to do that. Actually, uh, the systems that have been created within the American empire, namely neoliberalism, uh, it's the economics that pr push the structural changes which ultimately push this thing over the cliff. Uh, is that too complicated, too technical? No, we, we would agree with that, that there are structural issues that have uh, destabilized the whole empire. The question is, who put the structures in there? Who, who created this system? Who hollowed out the, uh, the value of the dollar uh, through inflation? Who destroyed the education system through implementing new measures like Common Core? Who spent trillions of dollars? Who made the decision to spend a trillion dollars a year on a bloated military budget and then go start wars indiscriminately across uh, the globe. So we, we, we wouldn't be in, in disagreement with you that it is structural. The question is who is making the decisions to uh, put these structures into place? Because they're not serving the people, that's for sure. We've become very clear of that. This is no longer America for the, for the people, it's America for the oligarchy. So who has allowed this to, to take place? Who, who makes the decisions that allows Amazon to come in and pay you know, no tax uh, on, on their sales? So um, who, who's rigged this game? And, and there's a lot of blame to go along. Certainly Washington, D.C., the role of money and, and lobbyists and, and factors like that always play a role in Washington politics. And so what we've seen over the last three or four decades is 
this intentional, this gutting of the United States, we would say, we would call it intentionally. The NAFTA agreements, which take all of the uh, industrial capacity out of the United States and export it overseas. So these, these things, it's like a, a car accident that takes 40 years to happen. Right. Towards the end of it. And what we're seeing looking back is that it's a variety of policies and decisions that were made as creating this system. And then the system has no just has nothing else to do but collapse upon itself. And that's where we are right now. So what we're trying to do is look back at what decisions were, were made, who made them, and what the plan is moving forward. And really, the uh, central thesis or the platform, if you like, uh, that you've um, started out on with the book is the rotten foundation, which are the systemic issues, which ultimately come the malfeasance from government, from Wall Street and from the, the big actors. Is that uh, the case that the Wall Street Washington corridor, if you like, is now way too close? Lobbying and rent seeking has undermined the Constitution uh, and democracy itself. Oh, of course. I mean, there is a well-worn path between Lower Manhattan and Washington, D.C., where they staff the, the big banks and then the regulatory agencies have people that are supposed to oversee the banks and then they just revolve. They just go from one place to the other. We see that in the medical industry as well. You have somebody that's the head of the, the CDC, like a lady like Julie Gerberding, who's uh, overseeing the CDC's vaccine program, and then immediately in, makes decisions that benefit Merck and then goes and takes a $5 million a year job running Merck. You know, and so, so we see these, how these systems work. And uh, you know, from the casual observer that, that watches this, we know there's something wrong. I mean, we get, we get a feeling that there, it shouldn't be this cozy relationship between the regulators and the people that are supposed to be regulated. So whether it's somebody doing this in big pharma, or whether it's Eric Holder uh, being the attorney general under Obama and then rotating back into um, Covington and, and, you know, as a reward for not prosecuting the big banks. I mean, we see this crony capitalism and it's, it goes to the core of what is destroying uh, the United States, but it's not limited to the United States. I mean, we're not naive to think that this sort of government and business inter intertwining is limited to the United States. We see it happen all over the place, but the difference is that in the United States, we are told to believe that somehow we're better than that that that's all just banana republics that do that and that those those countries still have a lot to figure out but we we stand for something bigger and that's of course a gigantic lie we're no better than any third world country or banana republic or whatever you know description Donald Trump wants to give them we are just as bad maybe even worse because we pretend to be something that we really are not so charlie you're telling me that america isn't exceptional <laughs> the myth of american exceptionalism is just that it's a myth we used to be great, but things have happened. You know, after 9-11, we had the sympathy of the entire world. Um, they felt bad for us. And what did we go and do with that? Indiscriminate bombings in Afghanistan, and then Iraq because of weapons of mass destruction, and then exporting that to Somalia and Libya and Syria. We, we, we took all of this goodwill that we had and squandered it for what? My fellow citizens, at this hour, American and coalition forces are in the early stages of military operations to disarm Iraq, to free its people, and to defend the world from grave danger. On my orders, coalition forces have begun striking selected targets of military importance to undermine Saddam Hussein's ability to wage war. There was a time when it wasn't just a sales pitch. 
But uh, I think George Carlin rightly explained this. You know, they call it the American dream because you have to be asleep to believe it. In your first book, you quote uh, Chris Hedges, the Pulitzer Prize winning journalist. Um, he says, brace yourself, the American empire is over and the decent is going to be horrifying. Yeah, it, and Chris is right. The dissent is going to be terrible because America has always believed that they're somehow immune from these sorts of things. And, and, and in, I guess a case can be made that we have been to a certain extent, be propped up by our having the world's reserve currency and the petrodollar situation that we have. We've been able to live well beyond our means and we didn't have to pay the price that a lot of countries had to pay in a literal sense and a figurative sense for, for our lifestyle. So um, when these things become unsustainable, like the infinite printing of the United States dollar. And we get to a point where you've got enough countries that want to, um, that no longer want to play our game and they decide they want to sell their oil in exchange for something other than, than US dollars. Maybe they want to sell it for gold. Well, in the past, that, that has led to them being invaded by us, <laughs> i.e. Iraq, uh, when Saddam Hussein wanted to to change his uh, relationship with the way he sold oil. And also in Libya, when uh, Gaddafi wanted to switch off of the petrodollar and, and sell his oil in exchange for, the, uh, for a gold dinar, you'll get invaded. This doesn't go unnoticed by the rest of the world. And I think that this, this policy of using the US dollar as the carrot or stick for the rest of the world is, uh, is, is growing very old for, for a lot of uh, nations. And I think the end, end of that is near. And when that comes, Chris Hedges' projection of, of the dissent being uh, you know, madness, um, that's where we're going to see things happen overnight. We've had riots, we've had you know, social instability here, but when the US dollar is depegged as the world's reserve currency, that's when you're gonna see the fireworks really start. On the next page after the Hedges quote, uh, you talk about the red carpet and the Iron Curtain. And there's another quote here from none other than uh, Mr. Vladimir Putin. And he says, we know year by year what's going to happen and they know that we know. It's only you that they tell tall tales and you buy it and spread it to the citizens of your countries. You people in turn do not feel a sense of impending danger. This is what worries me. How do you not understand that the world is being pulled in an irreversible direction while they pretend that nothing is going on? I don't know how to get through to you anymore. America is like the bully at school that has been giving kids a hard time for no good reason for a long, long time. But there always comes a day when the bully gets bullied back and gets stuffed into a locker by all the kids that are tired of dealing with him. And I fear that the United States is going to be put in a situation like that. And it will, we will have nobody to blame but ourselves. Vladimir Putin is right about that. I mean, in, in the United States, he's demonized as being this criminal mastermind who's plotting to destroy the United States through elections. You know, Vladimir Putin doesn't have to do anything to destroy the United States except sit back and watch like he's accurately doing. He is seeing what the rest of us are in denial about, which is that the tide has turned in the opinion towards the United States by many foreign countries out there is very different than it was a couple of years, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. People are waking up to the lies. You, you've got guys like Mike Pompeo that go on television day in and day out and just spout unbelievable lies about Russia and Iran and Venezuela and all these countries. And the 
average person that doesn't do much digging into it might nod their head and go, okay, we've got to be careful. But for the, for the rest of the people with the, with the eyes to see what's really going on, they see this as outright lies and creating the sorts of situations where wars can spring out of this. So the question is, why are they doing this? Why are we antagonizing Russia? Why are we trying to start proxy wars through Syria? And the answer is, unfortunately, to draw these big countries into starting a war against us. Because when you've got a hammer, every problem looks like a nail, right? So that so America is all about the military. So we have to put everything in a military context and, and start wars because of this. This is a, a, a catastrophic decision. The biggest problem with America right now, and it's not the people, let me be clear. I'm talking about the decision makers, the policymakers, and the politicians. It's our arrogance. It's our belief that somehow we're above everything and um, I watch, and I'm enough of a, a huge sports fan that I know that when a team goes into a championship game and they think they've got it wrapped up, boy, that's a really bad spot to be in because that underdog that wants it a little bit more uh, can take you down. Our arrogance will be our undoing. Charlie, uh, we talk about this, um, let's say, uh, systemic problem that you've got uh, over in the US, and you break it down as rotten foundation, pre-weakening of the building, uh, talking about controlled demolition of the empire, uh, and you attribute globalization to that. Is that because uh, in the US you basically got rid of all your supply chains, given it to other nations, and said, actually, you just get on with supplying us and we'll lie back and reap in the profits? Yeah, it really started with... Rockefeller and Kissinger and Nixon opening up those channels through China. And they decided that China would become the manufacturing hub of the, of the world. And we started the process of exporting all of our uh, industries to China in a quest for cheaper labor and reduced uh, regulations and all, all these things. Now, it was sold to us as, isn't this going to be great? You're going to get all of your your products cheaper, which sounds great to the to the American American population, but the problem is there is a price that we pay for that that we were never uh, told about, and it took many decades for it to play out. But we're we're witnessing it right now, and that is um, our relationship with China. We we no longer have our manufacturing capacity; it's all gone to uh, to the Far East, and now we have uh, issues with supply chain management. We saw this during the coronavirus situation where anything coming from China was locked down. So what we realized, of course, many of us saw this in advance, but but the average American realized we've created a system that relies a little bit too much on a foreign country for getting us things like medicine, which is almost exclusively manufactured in China, and some of the consumer products that, we're, uh, that we count on. The only way to regain control, Lester, is to move manufacturing back to the U.S. But experts tell us that private companies aren't going to do that on their own. They're going to need the federal government's help. And Lester, that means money. If we create enemies with this foreign nation, then we're going to have problems on a variety of levels. First of all, they own a ton of uh, United States treasuries, so there's a problem there. But they also control uh, the supply chain that America depends on, and any sort of disruption for that could be catastrophic. And we've seen this over the last, you know, the, the first half of 2020, is that um, when you have issues with China, and when you demonize them, and you call them names, and you, you say that the you, know, you have a Chinese virus. Well, 
what you're doing is you're inflaming these tensions between the two countries and the globalization component that we were told was going to be such a, a great win for the United States. It's not looking so uh, smart these days. You also put, um, when you talk about controlled dem demolition, uh, identification of the support columns. So specifically, what are the support columns that have been identified that have been uh, attacked, weakened uh, uh, and broken down for, for this building to elegantly fall? Yeah, well, for one, we've we've destroyed the education system inside the United States, and that is uh, that goes back to a quote from Adolf Hitler: "If you give you know control of the of the schools, I will have uh, control of the country within a generation." So we've we've destroyed the schools in the United States. The United States used to be um, thought of as as being the leader in uh, education. That is, we are in the mid twenties around the world, uh, things like common core has been introduced into the United States school system by none other than Bill Gates. And there's a funny thing that happens when you have all of the money in the world and you can buy everything that there is to buy, you wind up looking for things that are not for sale to buy huh. like the Rockefellers and Carnegie's did with the United States back in the, in the, you know, a hundred plus years ago, they set about to control the school system and put the classrooms in straight lines and have the bells ring when the class is over. So to kind of condition kids to go into life into the factories. And now we're, we're sort of post factory, post industrial world here in the United States. So the next, uh, big thing is the tech, you know, where are we going to prepare kids to get to excel in the tech industry? And so Bill Gates has introduced Common Core into the uh, curriculum for the United States. And Common Core is a disaster. It is, it is a educational uh, time bomb. So what is the Common Core? It's a very simple thing. It's a written uh, explanation of what knowledge uh, kids should have should achieve at very various milestones in their educational career. So it's writing down in sixth grade which math things should you know, in ninth grade which math things should you know, in twelfth grade which math things should you know. And you might be surprised to learn how poor those, I'll call those standards, but to be clear, it's not curriculum, it's not a textbook, it's not a way of teaching, it's just writing down should you know this part of algebra, should you know trigonometric functions, should you know, be able to recognize a graph of this type. And doing that very well is hard because there's certain dependencies. If you teach it in the wrong order, if you try and teach too much at once, too much too early, which uh, the US was doing a lot of that, it can be very, very poor. To some degree, this is a, an area where if you do have commonality, it's like an electrical plug, you get more free market competition. Scale is good for free market competition. Individual state regulatory capture is not good for competition. And so this thing in terms of driving innovation, you'd think that sort of pro-capitalistic market-driven people would be in, in favor of it. Um, but you know, somehow it's, it's, uh, it's gotten to be controversial. Another component that you know, a uh, support column that you need to blow out is the critical thinking component of most Americans. And that has been gone for a while now. We are absolutely unable to look at situations and use our critical thinking because we've been trained how to, to not do that anymore. And then one of the support columns that needs to be destroyed is, is peace peace and truth. And we've, we've lost that so long ago with, with the expansion of the military. So we've, we've set ourselves up 
for a disaster by by not taking care of the things that we need to to keep to make sure that you know to invest in the United States to make sure it's it's relevant for the the coming generation. In fact, if you were to be objective about it, we've done everything you can to make sure that we're irrelevant. And the next generation in the United States is going to look a whole lot different from where we are right now. So in the controlled demolition of the American empire, what we've had so far is the rotten foundation, the pre-weakening of the building, uh, identification of the support columns, uh, education being the big one. Rig the detonators very quickly. Rig the detonators. A short, sharp uh, insight on what rigging the detonators means. Well, it's how they'll do it, how they'll take this whole thing down. Debasing the currency is one way. Never-ending wars is a, is, is a surefire way to do this. But the most important thing that we're seeing right now is the division of the public to get everybody fighting with each other. It's one surefire way to keep everybody's attention at each other and not looking up to who is really pulling the strings here. That brings us neatly onto number six, which is ringing the alarm bells. How does that work? Well, this is what to look for before the whole system blows up. What you would, you would look for uh, aspects of a society that just looked a little bit unsustainable. If you saw these things starting to pop up in your day-to-day -day life, you would know that there is a problem. Well, let's talk about one thing, wealth inequality that we have. And I'm not just talking about people that are a little bit richer than the others. I'm talking about when a CEO makes a thousand times more than, than their employees. We, it, it creates a, a system of almost like a two-tier system where you have the kings and the serfs and everybody battling underneath. And I don't think anybody is saying that everybody needs to be equal. Uh, we're not expecting equal outcomes. Maybe equal opportunities, but certainly not equal outcomes. But with the wealth inequality in the United States is, you know, just the charts are astronomical. Um, we also have to notice that there are things happening, that there's a war on whistleblowers. And this is something that happens in all empires that are failing, is that the truth tellers become the, the target of the government. The lies are magnified and anybody telling the truth gets stuffed into a prison cell on trumped up charges. Where have we seen that? only with uh, Julian Assange and Chelsea Manning and these people that come forward to expose government corruption and they are rewarded by being put in government prisons. So this is, uh, when you start to see these things, you see a major disparity in the justice system where there seems to be two sets of rules, one for the rich and one for the poor. You know you're in a civilization that is about to, uh, that is unsustainable. And so this, we have this in, in the United States in a way that I cannot even describe. As we come to the next uh, point, pushing down the plunger, uh, and you're saying that you're past the point of no return now in the US, um, it's pretty obvious the pushing down the plunger bit, but that's done collectively, isn't it? Again, it's not one person just blowing this whole thing up. It's a structural uh, determination. It really is. Yeah, it's a combination of a lot of things. We're in a police state right now <laughs> in the United States. You know, we're always talking about austerity. This is a, you know, we have to cut, you know, we all have to pull our weight and we have to tighten our belts and make and, sure that... And if uh, you, I think you've stolen a British uh, expression, which is we're all in it together, uh, which <laughs> yeah, simply yeah, isn't the case. Except we're really not all in it together. There are some people that are really involved in this that are, that are feeling, you know, paying the price and feeling the brunt of the, of the systemic inequalities. But then there are others that are most definitely not feeling that. So the, the, the lie that we're all in it together is just that. It's a lie. And once again, here we go in the United States chasing an invisible enemy. The, before it was terrorism. We got to get the terrorists before they get us. If we don't go there and get them, then they're going to come and get us and we're all going to die. Well, that has played out for about as long as it can, two, two decades to be exact. And now we've moved on to a new invisible enemy, a virus. And uh, 
to finish this on a hopeful note, because you've absolutely perfectly uh, depicted how to blow this building up, um, I still wonder whether it is going to be a controlled demolition insofar as I think, that, you know, like all crashes, they're haphazard hard landings. Um, but once that does happen, how do you clear the debris, as you put it? How do you look uh, at the horizon above the, or beyond the horizon and start to rebuild and start to talk in a constructive way? Because it could be the case that you need this amount of creative destruction, if you're going to be shumpeter about it, uh, for you to be able to push out the dead wood and start again. Well, there's always the opportunity for something new to come out of this. We look at uh, the concept of a controlled burn of a forest. You know, you burn out some of the old underbrush to, uh, to improve the health of the forest in general. So we wonder if, this, if there's a good, you know, something great that can come out of this. Clearly things are gonna change, but I think things need to change. I don't know that, that the current system as it exists is something that is sustainable moving forward, but where are we gonna go from here? We have a decision to make. Are we going to allow maniacs in central banks to print fiat currency and, and trap us in these debts? Or are we gonna look for solutions outside of that? Now, my partner, Jeff Berwick, is involved in cryptocurrencies uh, quite heavily. Will that play a role in it? It might. You know, are we going to, be rid ourselves of the establishment media. Is it going to, are we going to get to a point where they're no longer relevant, that we're starting to change the way we consume information about the world? I'd say that would be a good thing. So, so things are going to change. They always do. This uh, demolition of the empire is going to catch a lot of people in a bad spot and hurt them, but it's going to create massive new opportunities for the future going forward. And so we can, you know, how we respond to this and how we, we react to these changes and we make adjustments, we see things coming, uh, are we able to get out of the way? We kind of describe this as, as a bit of a tsunami. You go back to the 2004 Banda Aceh uh, quake in, in December 26th, and one of the things that you had is when the waters receded, many people went to the shore because they'd never seen anything like that. They wandered out, you know, a mile out there. Isn't this crazy? But the people that were smart, the people that recognized the signs, the people that had experience and had seen this before, they knew better. They knew that when that water receded, it meant that something horrible was coming and they were able to head for higher grounds. And we feel like that's where we are right now. We see the water receding. We're telling people to get to higher ground. You're not going to be able to stop the tsunami. Do what you can. Get Save yourself. Save your friends. Save your families. Get to higher ground because it's coming. And I wish we could stop it. But the next best thing to do is to really put the word out, allow people to know that what's coming is going to be very difficult to stop. Save yourself and start to plan accordingly because you're going to have some really interesting opportunities when everything settles down. Charlie Robinson, always good to have you. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks for having me. It's great to be back. That's it from Renegade Inc. this week. You can drop the team a mail, studio at renegadeinc.com, or you can tweet us at Renegade Inc. Join us next week for more insight from those people who are thinking differently. But until then, stay curious. <laughs>